Oh, heck, it's time for happy thoughts about Doctor Who, because it's happy times and places. A positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, talk over an episode and try to see if I can guess what my special guest's favourite things about it are. Hello, my name is Jeremy Bentham. I'm very pleased to nominate as my Doctor Who story for Toby's uh, Enterprise, Marco Polo. Well, welcome back to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my guest, Jeremy Bentham, who you heard there being uh, erudite but truncated. His uh, full introduction is in episode one of this particular stream of uh, Happy Times and Places, the Marco Polo one. Um, we're going to welcome in a rider from Shang 2. A quick note, I've noticed that, uh, not deliberately, but almost subconsciously, um, I I think I think there are greater segues uh, and, and a tendency to sort of machine gun out anything, <laughs> anything, whether it's related or not. And it's because, I think, because this is a missing story, I'm watching it without subtitles, so it's very hard for me to pick up the dialogue. I, I have watched the story in advance in order to gen up on it because it's a, it's, it's a story I'm hugely unfamiliar with, really. And prior to this, I think the last time I experienced it was was when I first got the... Uh, a, a, apart from the truncated um, reconstruction that's on the beginning box set, uh, it was when I got the... was when I got the loose cannon reconstruction, which I got before I got married, which was in 2009. So, and I still have. So I hold, held on to the loose cannon reconstruction more than I held on to my wife. <laughs> I mean, in terms of a length of time, I think I probably held on to her. Uh, <laughs> I would think, yeah, I did. There weren't many occasions where I got jiggy. <laughs> I snuggled up to the recon of Marco Polo in a physical sense. But uh, anyway, I've, I've turned an observation about managing to keep a, a VHS tape longer than a woman into uh, something altogether less palatable. So let's leave that there. But um, so it's been a while is all I'm saying. It's been a while. So uh, I've um, I've refreshed my memory of the, the story before watching it, but it's still... There's something about watching a, a a recon where the sound is is you know is separate to the pictures, separate from the pictures in a way that it isn't on a on an existing episode. That means that perhaps we're not getting as much detail about the story in the episodes as I would like. Uh, but I but I'm trying, um, and and I I can't promise it's the last two minute monologue about a character actor that not even isn't in the story has never been in Doctor Who which is what you got last week um, but I'll try not to spill my tea this time um, so uh, we are going to watch Ryder from Shang 2 in 3 2 1 and I press play and here we are um I love this story. I love the feel of it. I love the atmosphere. I love the characters. 
I, I, I love the fact that it, it, it feels to me, and again, I don't know if this is because it's missing. It feels to me like perhaps the classiest adventure um, of the first season. Um, I, I think the historicals automatically feel slightly classier than the sci-fi ones because much as I love sci-fi, there's probably part of me that feels dirty and guilty about liking sci-fi. Um, but it does feel very elegant. There's bamboo there. The, the guard is in front of bamboo and the, I can see some bamboo directly outside my uh, French windows because, we, yeah, like this bamboo that I can see here. Uh, I hope they... I hope it wasn't... It won't have been. Um, it would have been, um, you know, in pots or whatever or, or cut down because it's... But I hope it didn't take root in... Uh, Riverside Studios because uh, it's a it's a pernicious beast uh, uh, and and getting it up from the roots is very very hard. Um, Rider from Shang Tu, um, ah, and this is Philip Voss as Akamat, and you have a Mongol bandit here played by Michael Guest, who looking at him seems to have some sort of war paint on as well. Um, uh, it's a shame he doesn't get a name. I think as an actor you want to be called something. You want to be called Akamat rather than mongol bandit um uh and of course that's uh uh, uh he's um uh, michael guest is one of those actors that you don't really think of or i don't really think of and then you go but hang on he's in because he's he's also he's also the the the, the saxon that um vicky and Stephen bump into in episode one of the time meddler so i think is he just saxon villager in, in that uh and he's uh, he's in Quatermass in the pit as well, uh, where he's uh, a policeman extra. He's not credited. So I, I had cause to sort of try and track him down because uh, because I tried to interview everybody from Quatermass in the pit. And uh, and, it, and it took some doing. I got the name of his house, which began with a Z. I can't remember what it was now, but it was quite, a, it's quite an exciting name. Uh, and that's as far as I got. And then Ben Jolly, who is very good at uh, tracking down actors, says, he, no, he's uh, he, he's 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 died. So we never we never got hold of uh, of Michael Guest. He's also the interviewer in episode one of the Dalek Master Plan. He interviews um, uh, Marvik Chen. Yeah, so on the on the screen. So he's got he's got sort of he's got three one episode appearances in in Doctor Who, um, and doesn't I mean he doesn't I don't think he says anything as much as the Saxon villager. Um, this episode is missing and i think he's largely off camera and missing in episode one of the daleks master plan so he's not been terribly lucky in terms of his appearances he is however luckier than tutty lemko uh, who we will be coming to later um but yeah michael guest the reason he's the policeman in quatermass in the pit i think is because the policeman's uniform fitted him um yeah he was there was a load of extras and they went oh you're the best fit for this so he gets a slightly better featured part than than some of the others but he's a, he's still a non-speaking uh, supporting artiste but yeah Quatermass and Doctor Who but uh, sadly he's gone before we could find him um, can't remember what the house was called but it was something beginning with Z anyway he's got an uh, and, and and I like uh, the setup of this episode where the guard is dead the bandits are waiting outside so these guys know there's going to be an attack. We know that Tigana's there uh, uh, and, and not on their side. And aren't there, I think the bandits are waiting for a signal from him, but 
there's been an interruption because we, the, the, the dead guard wasn't supposed to be found. And then you have this wonderful thing because it's been, you know, the fire has been set up. So, yeah, so these baddies are waiting for the Mongol, Michael Guest and Akamat, wonderful Philip Voss, waiting for a signal from Tigana, but it's already been set up that Akamat doesn't really like Tigana. So he's going to attack anyway, um, which is a nice bit of antagonism. I sometimes find it boring when when baddies cross each other. Oh, and I like the fact that on the telesnap we have Philip Voss has done a little bit of action with his sword that he's licking his sword to what? Test, test. Uh, it's presumably if you're if your sword is sharp, though, you'd cut your tongue off. But presumably, people who lick their swords have a way of doing it where they don't cut it, but they can still test the sharpness. It looks plausible to me. It's a nice piece of business. It makes him seem like uh, a genuine Mongol bandit. I don't know what they're like. It's a good piece of actor's business. It's a bit specialist. It's a bit. It's visually interesting. It's scary. Um, I love the fact that Ian and Marco here have this conversation when they're setting up to defend the camp. Marco goes, you, you were actually trying to escape though, weren't you? And he goes, yep. Yeah. Uh, and and the honesty between the two men, uh, I think is lovely. But, but, but the fact that Ian's done the right thing and gone, well, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll tell you the truth. And of course, if he had lied, Marco would have gone, but you're a liar. So instead he tells him the truth and Marco goes, well, I'm just going to have to be more vigilant then. And it's like, oh, our heroes are totally scuppered by the fact that they're dealing with a reasonable man because almost whatever they want to do, is he, he has a reason to be against them. If they're dishonest, it's like, well, you're liars. If they're honest, it's like, well, you're contrary to what I need to get out of this situation. So I'm going to have to keep my eye on you. I love, again, it's a sort of continuation of what I chose last week about the dynamics. I love the fact Marco's in his sort of leggings as well. Is that because he's, does he normally have trousers? Are they his bed leggings? I don't know. Um, but they do look like they've just sort of got up and it's and it's bedtime. And yes, education, education, education. You travel back in time uh, to educate people about historical events. But also, I didn't know that if you threw bamboo on the fire, it would uh, crackle. And, and that had something to do with fireworks as well. And, boom, 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 boom. Uh, and they use that knowledge of science uh and of history of the fact that you know their attackers might not know that it's just bamboo on a fire or whatever to scare to you know to to, to to in order to defend themselves so it's ingenuity it's knowledge it's the application of knowledge um it's our 20th century non-violent non-soldiery types using what they have at their disposal instead of violence and sword skills or whatever in order to protect themselves in this alien environment now then here is a fight which I believe is not on film. I could be wrong. Uh, which makes me slightly worry about it. We've we've all seen that, and uh, we've all seen uh, we, we we've all seen the time meddler directed by that excellent action director Douglas Camfield, um, and possibly the worst sword fight in the history of time. That's partially because it was arranged by David Anderson, who wasn't really a stuntman. But we'll we'll get into that for us. For, for, at a later date I'm sure on another podcast um, don't get me started on David Anderson and all the incorrect things written about him even in very recent issues of Doctor Who magazine and currently on IMDB David Anderson is not Dave Anderson the clue's in the name anyway uh, he's not in this story I think he might be an extra in one of the sequences but anyway 
Um, uh, and so, uh, yes, so I was I was interrupted myself when I spotted Michael Guest. I don't normally like it when villains are at odds with each other. I used to get very annoyed in 24 when you get a really, really good villain. And here's a good villain on the floor. Um, uh, Philip Voss has been killed. Um and and the and, and the production would sort of get bored of them, so another villain would come in. I remember Julian Sands coming in and killing Mark Shepard, who'd been a perfectly good villain up to that point. Um, but this is slightly different. The antagonism between Akamat and Tigana kind of it, well, it works within the 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 plot because they were waiting off stage for a for a signal from Tigana, which never came, so they attacked anyway. So then Tigana has to prove that he's. Uh, on the side of the good is by killing this other guy so that's actually quite useful to him but he also gets the satisfaction of killing a guy he thinks is a bit of a dick and he thinks is a bit of a dick uh so that's 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 that you know the, the dramatic payoff of that is has, has has some sense of closure to it as well um so to me that's slightly more interesting than uh, i am bigger bad guy from other place you have your incompetence has run out of petrol. <laughs> I would love that to be a line in a drama from a villain. Your incompetence engine has run out of petrol. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, I usually get bored when baddies come in and kill other baddies. But I think that works, this particular dynamic works slightly better. Um, and, and it means that Tigana's bought himself a bit of time now uh, i i have to invoke now the doctor who crossword book which i bought and i quite liked crosswords uh, I've, I've since gone on to uh, try occasionally to do cryptic ones which are really hard and my mother is excellent at and when i have a run in a play or something or go on holiday i, I get better at them but i like to think of myself as being good at them but if you presented me one now i'd probably get about three clues and they are there are specific rules within cryptic crosswords that you have to understand however the doctor who crossword but i could i could do simpler crosswords you know even when i was younger i could do you know straightforward ones where it's just a, a different word for a thing or, or whatever so there was a doctor who crossword book and i was like well i'm gonna be brilliant at this because as the doctor who it's doctor who and it's crosswords and, and, and i am an expert on doctor who thought i because i'd read some of the target books and got the odd issue of doctor who magazine and watched it a lot um and i remember one of the clues being the answer was tigana uh, and me going well that's that's a mistake do they mean tegan and i can't remember what the clue was but the answer was tigana uh i'm, I'm pretty sure and it was too close to tegan for me to think anything other than well that's just tegan and they've they've got it wrong um because when you're young and my kids do this to my, and it makes me really angry. Where you know they go, oh, this computer game I was playing, this thing happened, and 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 it's and it's a wrong, and it's a mistake, and, and 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 it seems to me that they assume that there's a manufacturer's mistake rather than that they've misunderstood something, or or, or they haven't worked out something correctly, um, which we never, which I'm sure we, oh no, well I'm just saying I did do that with the Doctor Who crossword book, but it annoys me when my kids do it, and I think it's partially because their their mum is somebody who would say. 
potato if you said potato. In fact, she'd probably go, well, actually, I think it's potato in a really annoying way. Sorry. I'm, that's, that's the, uh, and that, I, I'm aware that that's just my particular dynamic between me, me and that person because people with whom you have a history have a way of expressing themselves that annoys you. And I'm sure it's mutual, mutually reciprocated. But what I'm saying is I, 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 I do that, that sort of mistrust in that, that assumption that something you've got is faulty or wrong seems to me quite a thing maybe it's just a thing that my kids do and maybe it's because they think i'm usually faulty and wrong and it's all it's all my own <laughs> i'm expunging my own irritation at such things anyway one of the other clues was this was here he is now paul carson uh looking very handsome uh, but uh, again i suspect if we could see him move him we would we would be finding uh, the makeup uh uh particularly on his eyes uh, uh, i think slightly awkward and unpalatable these days um although i i have seen him in other stuff and i he certainly has a has a, a an olive skinned complexion i don't know quite where he was from we didn't know where he we didn't know anything about him for ages and i tried to i, I tried to find out from from uh from morris hussein and morris had said he was a model and i think he, he was a cigarette model um but he didn't he didn't know much more than that since discovered, I think that um, he's dead. He's definitely dead, Paul Carson. Uh, and I think he'd gone to the States. I've, I've got it somewhere. I've got some notes and I've forgotten. But um, he's another one that I think IMDb mixes up with a racing commentator or somebody that isn't the same. And Paul and Carson are not uh, uh, uncommon names. So the Paul Carson combination isn't helpful but uh, that's going to give me something to talk about in episode six because I can't remember off the top of my head. It's the sort of stuff I used to remember, but now I have it written down and filed away so I can refer to it if I need to. But anyway, oh, I will come back to the Doctor Who crossword book and Paul Carson and Ling Tao, the rider from Shang Tu, from whom this episode gets its name. Oh, yeah. So Ling Tao, Paul Carson, the rider from Shang Tu, is in that subset of people after whom a name, an episode is named, sort of. But there we have uh, Wang Lo. Uh, uh, the the hospitality manager at this particular way station, played by Gabor Boraka, who was uh, was he Hungarian? Uh, but he's very you know, he's rather he's like old King Cole. He's he's, he's, he's a bit like Rassilon. <laughs> but he's 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 round and he's cheerful and he's very very camp. Um, I know Warris said that Gabor was was a big mover and shaker in the in the gay scene uh, in the 60s which uh, obviously was um of a very different uh, quality and visibility in all sorts to what we what we might imagine when we when we use the phrase gay scene compared uh, between between uh, now uh, and and back then where you know attitudes had some uh, improving to do but i i like this that the the the, the the uh the 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 picture what is it a potting shed or something there's the picture's a picture here that has captured ian and barbara grinning away grinning away at uh the offense the doctor has taken at uh wang lo uh as description of the the tardis uh all those fish are dead <laughs> yes i met one of them once had lunch with him um uh Although I actually quite can't live quite a long time. No, I'm sure they're all dead. I'm not interviewing them. Um, yeah. Although I did have a thought about 
Monica the elephant from the Ark, um, and whether she's still alive. But she still wouldn't be able to tell me much, because um, elephants live a long time. Um, anyway, let's not get into that. I'm not doing the Ark um, yet. I, I have Kobuta who has recorded their thoughts on it, and I love the Ark. I love Sixties Who. There's just a, you know, I hadn't really thought about those fish, but they will have had to have got those fish from somewhere, assuming we see the fish, because those, but I think we do. I'm, but I'm sure not all the pictures in the recon are of the fish from the episode because I'm sorry, but a lot of fish look the same and I'm sure they've got a picture of fish from somewhere else. Could even be their fish. But anyway, but, you know, it wasn't until we got episode two of The Underwater Menace that what we thought, when we thought Zaraf was referring to his octopus, they it's not, it's just a fish in a tank and he hasn't, and his octopus, is, octopus you know, is, is, is tentacles off, as it were. Um... But yes, Wang Lo is very fruity and very camp and very jolly and a much needed bit of sort of comedy in this, you know, rather elegant and very serious and very, very thoughtful story. I think Wang Lo is a hoot. And so is Kuit Ju and his monkey, which who appears here. Tutti Lemko, uh, much unluckier than uh, Michael Guest in that Tutti Lemko is in one, two, three episodes of... Uh, or maybe two episodes, no, three episodes of Marco Polo, three episodes of The Mythmakers, an episode of The Crusade, and he's even credited on an episode he's not in. He choreographs some of the movement, doesn't he, on The Celestial Toymaker? And none of those episodes exist. So Tutti Lemko, who I, I believe gave great value... He was one of those actors who didn't believe that less is more. <laughs> I think thought, well, I think more is more. Uh, and Tutti Lemko in an eye patch with a monkey. And bear in mind, these monkey scenes are not done on film. They are done in studio as continuous recording. And I know that famously the monkey went up the gantry and shat everywhere and caused quite a stink and was a bit of a handful in the studio. But it's all that attempt to you know create verisimilitude and i think at this stage in the story to create a bit of color um because it has been quite serious and it has been quite thoughtful and character machinations and all that sort of thing and it's a seven parter and suddenly lucarotti's gone hang on i need a camp way station uh, greeter basically uh, and a, par- a piratical money-grabbing merchant with a monk with, with a with a monkey with diarrhea i don't think the diarrhea was in- i know the diarrhea wasn't intended but suddenly so we get a couple of characters who are a bit larger than life and that that also helps with the fact that our our villain is you know is purred and underplayed as well um that suddenly you know five episodes in we're suddenly um you know, throwing in some different textures and some different qualities and some some different different sounds, if you like, um, because you know, seven episodes is a is a big ask. Seven, you know, seven episode travelogue. But we've had so what? We've had the uh, we've, well, we've had a battle scene at the beginning of this. I do worry about the battle scene. Um, I don't know why, but I, I I suspect. Well, I would be very happy for everybody if it turned out to be brilliant. I'll tell you what, someone will go and find it and then we can find out and I'm perfectly happy to be disappointed. But in terms of, you know, the structure of the story and the story being told, we've had a battle. 
we've now moved on we've got these simmering character dynamics and the fact that we know that he's a baddie and the fact that uh, we, you know we're worrying about how the tardis is going to get back to the travelers and and the, the the ways that they're trying to do that i like the fact it's a bit like the time ring in genesis of the daleks it's just a little extra dramatic drive playing alongside the the story itself um uh, and anyway, let's this this is Ryder from Shang Tu, and the main new new character is is Paul Carson's Ryder. And I like the fact that he gives us that thing, you know. That again, like the bamboo, he gives us the oh well, I I run for three hundred leagues and then I change horses, and you know that's how I ride so quickly and I ride all straight. And and one, it's an insight into the brilliant techniques and things that people from the past do. They might not have had our technology or our understanding, but they're not simple people they're not primitives they work out ways of of being advanced with what they have to hand and in theirs it's a series of fresh horses put at strategic places so that takes planning and strategy and a, a, a science if not science in the way that we understand it but an understanding of the natural world and the way it works and how they can manipulate their resources to make them work the most efficiently which is kind of science is so I, I i like that depiction of the past i like the fact that it has an educational element because i didn't know that sort of stuff um uh, Ian here is doing that get an extra drunk thing that is always less funny than you want it to be when it happens unless you kind of just go with it um, especially as the extra is just laughs I think doesn't he because he, he's he's not allowed to say anything but he is allowed to laugh I think he might get an extra tenner for laughing um, and then Ian knocks him out but they can't have a proper conversation with character um, but also Ryder from Shang Tu was another answer in and it was a long answer in the doc 2 crossword book and i remember thinking well this is going to be a, a story title so i'll be able to get it because it's it's long it's a it, usually if a clue is quite long you've got more of a chance of getting it because four letter word could be sort of anything in a way but a, a long thing you've got you've got you know you've got more clues along the way and i remember finding and i cheated in the end and i looked it up in the back and i went and i i guess it was the clue ling tao i don't know or what i don't know what the but the answer was rider from shang Tu. And so, of course, it's got a dash in it as well. So there's only a certain amount of words it could be, you know. So, but I'm going right to not many letters that are words that are two letters that come after a dash. And I, in the end, I cheated and I looked it up uh, in the back and was still none the wiser. And it was a it was a real education to me. They're going, you don't know as much as you think you do. There's a thing here called Rider from Shang Tu in this book about Doctor Who that you think you know so much about. And I hadn't got a clue what it meant, what it referred to. It seemed to be a story title, but that didn't seem quite like a story. Uh, and it's an object lesson. In And I've never called myself an expert on Doc 2 because I'm just somebody that's interested and I'm interested in the details. And I think because, because when I maybe did think I knew loads when I was like, you know, eight or whatever, uh, uh, suddenly I'm being confronted with that Doctor Who crossword book that had all sorts of things in it that i had not only i was absolutely baffled by uh, i think was a was a good lesson in humility and i hope i've carried that with me ever since um because you're on a sticky wicket if uh, uh if you're not if you're not careful uh there's loads in that episode and i love you know and it's that so near and yet so far and of course it had to be Tigana 
grabbing Susan. And that picture, I remember that picture being in Doc 2 magazine and it's just black behind him and you can see him sort of looming over and he grabs her. And he seems about six foot, ten foot tall. Uh, and it's a brilliant, he seems so powerful. That's what I love about Darren Nesbitt in this, where he's, he's quite Joe 90-ish. He's, quite, he's like a sort of overgrown schoolboy in that prisoner episode that he's in. And when he's the, the, the Nazis, you know, he's, he's you know, thin and pointed and, and slightly a feet or whatever. But in this, he's, whoa, he's butch, butch and scary. Um, and just so near and near, so far, they're just in the ties. Like, oh, I think in the six, you know, it, it reminds me of that first, story you know when they're when they're running towards the TARDIS and they get there by the skin of their teeth and the spears are thrown and they're all dirty and their clothes are torn it's almost like every Doctor Who's adventure is they're sort of just racing to get back to the TARDIS that's their you know they're not there to save the universe they're not there to fight the good fight of good versus evil and what would the yeah what would the Doctor do young people yeah the young people who say what would this is what Doctor Who's about Doctor Who's about <laughs> escaping from danger at the skin of your teeth uh and, and, and shutting the doors uh, of, of your indestructible spaceship just in time at this stage. Do you know what I mean? That's what's, I suppose, brilliant about um, Edge of Destruction is is it, it, it very brilliantly turns that sanctuary into danger. I never thought about that, actually, is that, that for a, a series in which uh, the ship is the sanctuary, to actually have that in, inveigled by what they think is a is a... Uh, you know malevolent force turns out to be a stuck button but let's not get into that uh that's why that story is perhaps even more effective than we might think because it's a reversal of the general dynamic which is that you know whenever things go wrong in the adventures which they invariably do because they're doctor who adventures you've got to get back inside that ship because that's your lifeline that's your that's your ticket to safety and quite often in these early adventures safety is anywhere but here and i love that thread that undercurrent to the whole adventuring is that sometimes it's just we, we've got to stay alive for now to give us a chance to get back into the ship and that's our that's our sole motivation not any grand plan to to, to teach the universe to be better uh, and to tell people it's just to survive survival which uh, which means the, the the you know the title of the very last Doctor Who story is even more appropriate, and I and I don't think that's necessarily ever quite recaptured as as the story goes on, which is why I find these you know these pioneering uh, you know first first few episodes really interesting because you can see the stories the the, the series as we know it taking shape, and and some things that they abandoned not because they were bad ideas but because. The, the novelty of them all would stain it so much. You'd be bored now if, if you know, uh, the whole story was, well, we've got to get back to the TARDIS, because we know the TARDIS. I'm, I'd said this in earlier episodes. But no, I like that idea. But but, but I think what I, yeah, what I like about thinking about this this episode and this, this story, yeah, is that, we you know, inside the TARDIS is anywhere but here. And the fact that our characters are always on the run and always on the edge of, you know, the, the, you know being marooned in a hostile environment where they don't have the wherewithal to survive for a long period of time i asked really interesting um but what i am going to choose for this episode because it's got the bamboos and because it's got ling tao's explanation of his horse riding um and because i think of barry newbridge i love barry newbridge's thing where he, he reasoned i think quite sensibly that 
way stations would all be based on a similar pattern so he could redress and change and, and i think don't they get smaller as they get closer to 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 their destination because they wouldn't need as many things and uh, you know all that thought that goes into the design that they may not explain on screen i don't know if they do but but you le- you learn when you read an interview with a designer and that is the educational element of doctor who and it's not an educational intent as the word education is sometimes used today which is we know better than you read our read our blog and you'll find enlightenment but educational in terms of broadening the palette of knowledge of your viewer especially your young viewer who has been lured here by the adventuring but gets an extra bonus of going away having seen a sword fight having booed a purring villain having laughed at a funny character um and having you know being cheering on our heroes and hoping they escape within all of that because of the characters they're encountering and the setting of the adventure they learn things and I, and I think some of the stuff that I learned about through watching or reading or whatever Doctor Who when I was younger because you my god you remember things so much better when you're that age than you do when I'm my age hence me having to look up what I've learned about Paul Carson whereas I haven't had to look up um, as I say I'm writing a podcast about Doctor Who a celebration and I haven't had to look up any of the sentences I remember him from that because you're you're moldable as a youngster and I think that's the other thing one regrets about I was talking about age last time uh, about how you know stuff sank in and it stuck but particularly if it was stuff that was told to you in a fascinating way and i think that's the beauty of doctor who is that you learn you enjoy learning the facts because this stuff is so magical to you that you want to know more and you want to suck up all that knowledge and i think doctor who gave me a, a thirst for sucking up knowledge okay i've got a very one track mind so it's largely about doctor who but in in that in hoovering up that dusty dust that knowledge dust i'd get the occasional um lego foot of historical fact as well and 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 maybe um uh, uh a discarded wrist paper wrist the paper of really tortured metaphors too um so for me the thing about rider from shang Tu, the story that told me by its very title the episode that by its title told me i didn't know as much as i think i did uh is appropriately an episode that has lots of educational content that taught me stuff that if I hadn't experienced this particular Doctor Who episode, I wouldn't know. And the kids watching wouldn't have learned. And, you know, that's very true to what the the concept of Doctor Who was at the very beginning and more to its power to its elbow for so being. Well, he was a schoolboy when it was on. So what did Jeremy Bentham learn from Ryder from Shang Tu? And what did he decide was its best thing? Let's have a little bit of pressing play on Jeremy's contribution. No discussion of Marco Polo would be complete without the mention of its set design. And of course for this all credit goes to Barry Newbury for his quite spectacular sets that he designed and that were put up in Studio D at Lime Grove that made the story just look so absolutely sumptuous in a way that explains why so many other people at the BBC thought Doctor Who was getting preferential treatment and was had been awarded budgets far higher than a children's family viewing drama should be allowed to have. 
And you can imagine why companies like Disney were interested in doing this story on the big screen. Can you imagine if it had been done like Hammer's version of She, what this story would have looked like up there on the big screen? And yet it was all executed in, in Lime Grove, and that's, that's the remarkable bit for me. Here's a true story. Back in 1987, I was asked to do a, some Vox Pop material for the BBC Two review show, Did You See? And that took me down to Shepherd's Bush Green to record the little segments that were going in there. The researcher girl who did the interviews, a lovely lady named Krishna, I asked her where she worked, and she said she actually worked at Lime Grove. That was her uh, base as part of the current BBC's current affairs team. I asked if it'd be possible to actually go in there and, and have a look at Studio D. <laughs> Rather surprised by my request, she indulged me and took me to the uh, the place that she uh, said people used to refer to as Slime Grove because it was such an old elderly building. And we went up all these stairwells that looked a little bit like the, you know, the hospital locations in the invasion of time to a little viewing gallery that looked down into this really quite small tennis court of a, of a studio. And I was very quiet. And she thought, oh, well, it was probably a little bit disappointing. But no, it wasn't disappointing at all because you absolutely knew at that moment you were seeing the place where true magic was crafted and created by designers like Barry Newbury. That this was the point at which magic that is Doctor Who actually began. So for me it wasn't Slime Grove at all, it was Sublime Grove and I must admit that was one of the happiest experiences of visiting a Doctor Who studios that I'd ever known in my time so I commend set design to my special moments for the rider from Shang Tu. <coughs> now that was foolish of me wasn't I because set design was obviously going to be one of the the choices did I make it earlier? It was a week or so ago I did um, episodes one, two, and three. I can't necessarily remember what I've chosen, but I can't choose set design now, which is a shame because it definitely would have been one of my choices. Um, so Jeremy's slightly bested me there. Um, I mean, again, it doesn't really matter, but uh, I've got two episodes, three. I've still got three things to choose. The design is obviously brilliant. And did I say Riverside earlier? I might have done in my um, verbal splurge. For some reason said Riverside when I was talking about the fight. And of course, it's Limegrove. Studio D, don't write in. Um, tiny studio. And of course, we forget that because we often talk about, oh, Doctor Who was done on limited resources. Uh, you know, Doctor Who looks cheap. If you look at Doctor Who productions compared to other stuff at the time, they they look really good. They look really good, uh, and they marshaled those resources well. And it wasn't necessarily some of the stuff I've uh, I've discovered in you know go very paperwork is that they you know they're talking about it being a year long commitment. You know, in in some of the early trade papers about it. You know, this isn't something that snuck snuck under the radar. I know later on it was truncated to thirteen weeks, and there was back and forths between various departments but they had big plans for this it was it was you know it was a high concept high regarded ambitious project from its you know from it from the people who birthed it as it were from from sydney newman particularly um so i think sometimes we sort of go yes it was just this humble thing that was only supposed to last for 13 weeks and then it's lasted but actually as jeremy puts it there you know the within the bbc there was a feeling that 
you know it was it, it was rather a precocious tile it was it, it had more resources at its disposal than it than it should have done now whether that's partially because the people making it rose to the challenge uh, and you know did did extra special work yes there's there's that too but i think sometimes we you know we 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 can maybe play upon its humble origins a little bit to, to, too much uh, and it it is it, it looks to me to be a a, a high end uh, production Marco Polo and and actually I mean the set design of that whole early period of Doctor Who is is generally rather super duper um, but I think the historicals I think partially because they've got loads of costumes uh, that are the real deal as well um, yeah I mean it looks amazing and I'm and I and I'm sure it shot you know with great attention to that by why Warris is saying because you can get good directors um uh or you no, you can get directors who have good sets and good costumes uh, who don't know how to shoot them properly and, and squander those resources so you know just because we know we've got stuff that looks beautiful in pictures it doesn't mean it was it was rendered well but i think um i remember my uncle worked on um the life of brian and he was talking about how um, you know they were pulling their hair out because they got all these hundreds of millions of extras on this mountainside and you know this amazing vistas and 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 terry jones i think was directing you know was was directing a group of about five people and they were going we've got all this stuff here put the cameras on this i think gilliam was pulling his hair out and yeah i'm sure that's what my uncle said because he was a he was a junior editor on it but he was he was hanging around doing extra work as well they all they all sort of pitched in anyway that's life of brian that's nothing to do with doctor who and i'm not from a showbiz family but my my uncle was a was a young film editor um, and so therefore very cool but uh, 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 yeah he was the only person anywhere near show business and uh, there was no he's never <laughs> he never had the opportunity to sprinkle any of that stardust on me because you don't from an editing booth although he did once share a lift with Tom Baker which which was as cool as it got um, so look but I so does that mean I'm now the coolest member of my family? <laughs> Only cool in the way that I, my my young self would see cool, and I don't think my young self had a had a very accurate view on perspective on what counted as cool. I don't think I'll ever be cool if that's cool with you. Um, what I will be though is somebody that now knows what the rider from Shang Tu is, even though I didn't when I thought I knew about Doctor Who. So we're always learning. And that is why I chose the educational element of episode five of Marco Polo as my favourite bit. And even though I absolutely applaud and agree with Jeremy's choice of the design, I still stand by my choice as well. So, um, uh, 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 you know, knowledge, knowledge is a good thing. And uh, Doctor Who's uh, quest to provide alongside the adventuring is one of its strongest points. And I think that's brilliantly illustrated by this particular episode of Doctor Who, if not this episode of Times and Places, which perhaps only educates you not to be a motormouth wiseacre, lest you um, end up like this, for which I can only apologise. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta. I think you'll find. 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 All right, I checked. There were fish, um, but actually, I thought I thought I'll check this. It's really quick, simple. Just before I record the credits, 
Um, and of course, I've disappeared down a rabbit hole, which is a very bad place to look for fish. Uh, so it's not actually that straightforward. But there are fish in the episode. Uh, and I think one of the, the telesnaps, one of the pictures in the recon is a telesnap of fish. But I think the other picture of fish, because there's a couple, is just someone's fish or internet fish, fish to net. Um, yeah, a net is a good place to catch a fish. Um, but anyway, yes, but I don't know if the fish were filmed at Ealing, as had been, pl- had been planned to film them at Kew. Then it was planned to film the, them at Ealing, but I don't know if they were. Uh, I haven't got access to all of the paperwork. And also, I'm not. I, I am doing a brief sort of... I, I am looking over the Marco Polo stuff because I'm uh, researching too much information. But for these, I, I you know, I tr- try to make them you know as, as as much from memory as possible because otherwise I, I wouldn't sleep or eat and that's not what these are these aren't facts but i just know what dog two fans are like so i'm covering my back um there are fish in the episode but whether they were recorded on film or from the studio there's definitely a fish tank in the studio uh we're not uh, I, I can't tell straight my feeling is that they probably pre-filmed them for a close-up like they do the the bamboos and all of that sort of thing but i'm not 100 percent sure but you definitely see the fish they're not like Zaroff's octopus and the other thing where I was definitely wrong is the way stations I got it slightly wrong uh, it's not that they get smaller as they get closer to their destination it's that they get more ornate because you're getting closer to you know where the the emperor and all the you know the center of power and all of that is and of course the ones further out have to be sparser and more practical because um because you know because fewer things can get to them and, and the priority is to make them as I say sort of functional and practical rather than sexy so the closer you get to you know the city or the center of power the sexier and more ornate and more decorous the way stations get so that's that's that i got it the wrong way around i'm extremely grateful to you for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydoke and my special guest this time around is j jeremy bentham I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Peter Burns, Chris Phone, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Richard Straw, Neil Tate, Nick Tedston, Tim Arding, David, who is surname is remaining anonymous, Nigel Bromley, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford Kelp, Paul Dunn, Jason Gorman, Siobhan Galichon, Chris Hyam, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Ian K. McLachlan, Gavin McLean, Rick Moran, Nathan Martin, Graham Knott, Adam Parker, and Barry Platt. The music is by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to be a name on the credits, you can become a patron for as little as £3 a month. Uh, There are higher tiers. Most of the things that patrons get are available at the lowest tier. I I don't like the idea of withholding anything. But, you know, you have to play the game and lure people up the ladder. So there's a couple of extra things, including uh, the mention of your names, which is more frequent the, the higher up the greasy pole of patronage you ascend. Uh, so, you know, three pounds a month, you might hear yourself uh, as often as uh, you hear a trustworthy statement from a politician. Whereas, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the higher up you go, oh, God, you're as frequent as a Michael Sheard convention appearance in the 1980s, 1990s. 
Um, so listen, yeah, there's uh, there's um, bonus material. There are exclusive releases just for patrons, uh, and everything is is much further in advance. I mean, you will be listening to this six months later than when it was actually recorded. If you are a non-patron, if you're a patron, you get it. I mean, currently the way I'm going, almost live, because uh, I'm a little bit behind. I sometimes have some in the bank. But uh, uh, but yeah, so you're about six months ahead if you're a patron with Happy Times and Places and a month or so, or maybe a month with the Too Much Informations and a couple of months with the Indefinable Magics. But far too much information, the fourth podcast, is only available to patrons. Three pounds a month, uh, ascending up to oh gosh, I mean you can give me what you want a gazillion pounds a month. I don't, I don't know, but you can you know um, you can go higher than I think anybody actually wants to. So you know there's potential there that will never be fulfilled. But God loves a trier, and um, uh, and you can get ten percent off whatever you pledge uh, if you pay a year in advance. So uh, that's all worth doing if you like this kind of thing. And with your help, uh, that means that, you know, I can devote the proper time to these that I'd like to. But also it ensures that they are ad free. A lot of podcasts are less to stop halfway through uh, and, the, and the hosts pretend they can present adverts and show you why actually, you know, a really good advert is done properly on the telly by experienced voiceover artists and actors. And I am both of those things but i'm still not going to do them on my podcast however i mean if you would if you would like to hire me i've 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 advertised mops on the telly i'm not uh, <laughs> i'm not proud and i do lots of radio voiceovers but but interesting isn't it i keep my own product um untainted by the world of commerce uh so so there's a public service really or no it's actually it's just shame that the idea that anybody should pay for this no anyway stop it stop it's fine this is the modern way of doing things and i'm perfectly happy to i'm very grateful to the patrons so if you would like to join their number um yeah so i'm grateful to the patrons and i shouldn't and i'm not ashamed of this plug i'm just trying to yeah i'll throw a bit of self-deprecation into the mix because that is how i roll and because I, I am actually, as you can tell from this stuttering self-justification, I'm slightly awkward about it. But I will embrace it in the fullness of time. So become a patron. If you can't uh, or don't want to commit to the monthly thing, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and just throw me whatever amount or denomination of cash whenever you like. If you fancy it, if you're feeling flush, uh, if you particularly like an episode um, yes, that's the that's an alternative. Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. And of course, I totally get if um, that's not possible. Um, I've just, I mean, we're just seeing the prices of everything skyrocket. So I just like the fact that I, I can reach out to you from my living room and we can talk and sort of you know, have this community of Doctor Who conversation, even though it's very one way. But uh, I do feel like, you know, we have a slight hangover from the pandemic where, you know, we were throwing stuff out there in order that we, uh, you know, we still remained in communication, even though we were locked up. Um, I mean, I'm a kind of locked up kind of guy anyway. So this is what I've, I've continued after the pandemic. Uh, and do you know what costs you nothing? is if you go to iTunes or Podbean or Spotify. Apparently Spotify is where a lot of people get their podcasts. And I'm, I don't seem to 
have a lot going on on Spotify. I seem to mostly do on iTunes. Anyway, so if you could spread the word and particularly give five-star reviews, that really helps to uh, make these visible. A five-star review and perhaps uh, a few lines as well to say what you like about it and to lure people into the listenership. So that costs you nothing and you can do that everywhere you like. That'd be lovely. So I've reminded myself of uh, my Paul Carson situation. And I know more about him than I thought. It's very interesting, though, is you, you look at IMDb and it's got him mixed up with a, a sports announcer um, uh, or a news announcer, an anchorman. Um, and, I mean, one Google, will you look at the anchorman and go, well, it's not the same guy. Uh, I, I mean, even though, I mean, it's already pretty unlikely because there's a sort of 20-year gap in credits from acting credits on British television to being an anchorman essentially playing himself in various productions as you know anchor people do in movies and tv shows that's what they that's what they do to give very similitude and you know why get an actor to play an anchor when you can get an anchor to play an anchor uh and that would automatically make you smell a rat but still um it, it's not enough to keep it off imdb and there are still a ludicrous amount of quite serious researchers who would look on imdb and just go oh well that's true then um uh, if it doesn't look likely it ain't and it's not the same guy but i'd forgotten uh i knew the name of well i, d I don't know if i'm gonna curse it now ah sorry nothing ventured uh i found uh who paul carson was married to at the time of marco polo so i'm gonna send her a message see if i have any luck uh, so this could be the beginning of a lovely piece of Doctor Who flavoured archaeology or it could be one of many messages I send out. Occasionally I'll remember and go, oh yeah, I sent a letter to that person. Um, clearly they're not replying then because uh, I just sometimes have, you know, brief flurries of industry where I, you know, print a few letters out. It takes longer to print an envelope and go out and send a letter than you would think. It's actually quite a big job, if, especially if you're doing a, a handful of them. You think of sort of sending a letter being, oh, I'll just dash off a letter and send it. It's actually an afternoon's job. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to see if I can find out more because he, up until very recently, um, uh, and I, I didn't find out a lot of this. There's a, there's a chap who prefers to remain anonymous with whom I uh, back and forth um, about actors and we compare notes and blah, blah, blah. and he, he'd actually he'd actually found the lead to the to the proper Paul Carson um, uh, but but up until that point very recently he was one of the very few of, about whom we really knew nothing beyond about 1968 but uh, tune in to episode 7 because he's not in it next week and I might be able to tell you a little more I don't think I will have heard from his wife by then uh but you never know in this miraculous age of the internet but um i'm also working on the too much information so anything i do find out will end up in toby haydoke's time travels soon enough um so there we go that's how i spend i was i mean i started doing this little bit of recording just to uh, get this episode boxed off about 50 minutes ago and then i checked this and i did that and I go, it's a bit like sending a letter these little jobs that you think oh well that won't take me very long i've just got to record the credits 
uh, and the post-credit things that I now insist on doing because I've established a pattern and a few of you said, oh, I listened to the end and now I've made a rod for my own back and these are becoming actually longer than the programme itself. Uh, I, I, I sometimes wish somebody would operate on my brain. Anyway. I probably secretly like it, don't I? <laughs>